know this might be uh, seem strange, and I'm sorry if it does, but I do not drink beer that is not in a glass. No, that, I don't think that's that strange. I don't think it's and, wrong. I, I, I do. I will drink beer out of a glass, uh, out of a non-glass. Well, some beer comes in a glass already in like a glass bottle, but I'll drink. I don't drink beer out of a glass bottle. I know you drink it out of a, out of an actual glass. And have I told you why? Because it's a little ridiculous, but if I drink beer out of the bottle, I find that it gives me a tummy ache. I wonder why that is. I wonder if, are are you sure? I mean, the way that you say that makes me think that you've already considered, oh, Oh, so you're saying that it just that it releases gases having poured it out, like some of the carbonation is gone. Yeah. Okay. Then. I mean, that's also that's one of the reasons why you pour a beer, also, right? Is that it actually makes it taste better. But we're here to be hoity-toity, and you know, elitist about our games, not about our drinks. So I, I apologize. Oh no, we are definitely here because this is a you this drink is a, a seltzer. You drink based... beer however you'd like. Yeah, well, I I'm do. Not, I'm not here to fault anyone you for can't it. Stop In me. fact, if you come to my house, I prefer it if you drink right out of the bottle because that's fewer dishes for me. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And that's what I did. That's what I do. That's what I did yesterday, though. We got together yesterday for some video games, right? Well. Because that's well, what we are. We're a video game podcast. Um, no. Well. No. Well, I got ba- I got bad news for you. I got bad hey, news I like for you. I got bad news for you considering like you games. already you already know. I've been playing a lot of video games. Well then t- I mean do I is it How is tra- it is traditional. I mean I I played video games all today. It is the season. Like, it's the season. It's the season for board game for for video sorry. That was a slip. It is the season <laughs> for video games. All right. Well, uh it is tradition. I don't know how it became tradition. Actually, it makes a lot of sense why it's tradition. But we usually talk e-games before we talk P-games. So tell me about what you've been gaming. Isn't it mostly this so is, that people can like this, zone out so that they can tune out when we start talking about board games? Well, Cause we that's, when I, that's when I tune right? in. Because when we talk about video games, I'm like, okay. Drake face, no. And then when we talk about P-games, Drake face, point at it, yes. All right, well, so I've still been playing Red Dead Redemption 2. One of the best, well, a master craft in video games, right? Who's going to take that away from it? No one. Uh, no. You can't, you can't play Red Dead Redemption. You can't look at it and listen to it and play it necessarily without saying, this is a damn well-fine-crafted game. You can certainly argue that is not a fun game. I won't be the one to argue that. I actually think Red Dead Redemption is pretty damn fun. I explained some of my reasoning behind why I think they made some of the decisions they made yesterday. I had a really a couple of memorable experiences with Red Dead Redemption in the last couple of weeks, which is it's been a couple of weeks since we recorded, right? Mm-hmm. So friend of the show Kevin Klein came by last weekend and was really excited to check out Red Dead Redemption 2 because he played a lot of Red Dead Redemption 1. He did just about everything in it. So I saved my game and then I let him play the game, you know, essentially let him do whatever he wants, spend all my money, get as much of a bounty as he wanted. And man, that is the difference between people who play video games and people who don't play video games right there. If you play a lot of video games, if you were if, if I was at your house, if I were at your house 
and you said, do you want to play some Red Dead? I would say, absolutely not. Maybe I'll watch a little bit of you playing it, but I don't want to play it because anything that I'm doing in a video game, I want it to go to like my account. I, if I'm doing stuff, I want to get the you rewards for that. Wanted. No, no one you would wouldn't. want to. No. Not, it, not in this case. You wouldn't have wanted uh, the things that... I, I, so I'm going to explain this to you because I think that there is something to be said about fucking around in Red Dead Redemption 2 and that it is really, really cool to experience the fucking around in Red Dead Redemption 2, but it is absolutely... Maybe it, 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 you really might not want to do it on your own like save because this is something we talked about. But in Red Dead Redemption 2, the bounty and the bad things that you've done stay with you. They stay with you through your death. They stay with you through uh, if you like proceed the storyline, all of it, it stays with you. If, you know, if law enforcement is after you and they're hunting you down and you kill some of them, then your bounty just gets higher and higher and it doesn't go away. So I made a save and then I let Kevin Klein do whatever he wanted. And I was really surprised to find all the bad things that game will let you do. Specifically, I was really surprised that the game will let you steal a train. Well, actually let you take the train and drive it and potentially get it all the way away from police enforcement to a place where you could actually just ransack and loot and take everything off of it. And that is a thing that I would never have known if he weren't the one to pick it up and play it because I would have been too scared to do that on my main account. Yeah, like, one of the on weird my... things about stealing a train is that you know where they went. Realistically, yeah, absolutely. But, you know, it's the Wild West. It's the final frontier. Well, is it? Who knows where that train could go? It's unexplored, it uncharted territory. I don't know if anyone's ever said that about that, but I got that big I'm space. Pretty sure, I'm pretty sure space Cowboys would like to argue with you. think, man, the West is great, but how about space? I mean, I, I, sure I think that a lot of cowboy poetry and writing at the time had to do about how big space is. Yeah, I love how all the cowboys always signed off their poetry by saying, see you, space cowboy. That's my wow. favorite thing about... Uh, about post antebellum literature I have to be, around the time. I have to be impressed. I have to. I got a little. I got a little spinal tinge right there when I heard that. But it is really, you know, it was really fun watching him play it and seeing the way that he does it. It also makes you take for granted, like how good that you might be as an individual at like shooting people in video games. Like when you watch other people try to do it who aren't familiar with it, and it's just like that's not how you move. That's not what you do. You just punched your horse in the face. What are you doing? Unless that was the goal. But it was a lot of fun. It was really, he robbed a lot of trains and we, we tied a lot of people up on train tracks. And and what is over. it about Kevin Klein that like you, you give him infinite space to work and it's, it's really just murder and cult shit. Well, actually the very first thing that he did is he went to the barber and the tailor and he spent like 45 minutes like honing in on the exact right look. That's another like thing, Kevin. Jacket, yeah, okay. Perfect cowboy hat. Uh, and then Kevin he Klein's got to really get his upset. outfit right for the. He got, he got really upset whenever like someone would hit him and hit his hat off because in that game, uh, you can lose your hat and you have to go back to like your armoire to go get it again. 
And at one Wait, point, what do you mean? Like, was, doesn't that you, someone punches your hat off and you just pick it up, right? It falls on the ground. Can pick it up or you might not notice it and walk away from it. And at one point he got his hat punched off while he was on the train. And then once we started driving the train in third person, we noticed the hat was like on the train and the train was wearing it like, like it was the train's hat. Wow. So the train kind of became your accomplice. That game was wild. Uh, so that was really fun. Oh, I did wild, have wild this West. really weird, like, um, wiki wild, wild west. I had this really weird thing happen where I just, I always like to go to the edges of the map and see what's there. Uh, so the I went the wild to the effect and I found a, like a legendary animal and I killed it and I got its carcass on my horse. And then I was like, okay, well now I have a really long journey ahead of me because was this about uh, the bear? No. Okay. So I had this legendary moose carcass on my on my horse. And one thing that's really annoying about Red Dead is that you can only have one thing, one large pelt stored on the back of your horse, and you need to bring it to specific places in order to work with it. This is a real a real annoying thing about the game. I don't want to say that it's like a sticking point or that it's like a point of contention or that's bad design necessarily, but it is a thing that really makes you go, huh, you know? So I I was riding around, I was doing really exciting things. I, I found like this rundown shack and the guy, there was this guy who I was like in a standoff with and I killed him and I got a rare shotgun, uh, literally an item, by the way, called rare shotgun. So it was cool. You know, I got rewarded for going off the beaten path, doing some interesting, cool things. But in the back of my mind, the whole time was really got to be careful about this pelt. Really want to make sure that it stays safe. But I did a bunch of side quests. The pelt was safe. And then I'm riding back to the city to get it to the tanner. I look away for a moment and I run into somebody else's horse. Uh, my horse flipped over them. I killed them and I got a bounty on my head and the pelt got knocked away. So now there are police coming to investigate and I'm trying to get this pelt back onto my horse before the police come and shoot me and the pelt drops. And then that's the end of it. And the police shoot. And now my horse is freaking out and running away from me. And I'm holding this pelt, just like trying to run after the horse. And like, I get the pelt on the horse and then I'm like, okay, at least it's safe here. And then I'm just like running around trying to escape the police before like, and trying to get this bounty off of my head because I need to just deliver this pelt. I get to the tanner and he won't have anything to do with me because I have this bounty on my head. And it was such a project that it was so like anxiety inducing being like, Oh my God, I got this legendary pelt. If I lose it, I have to go all the way back to the other end of the map to get it again. Luckily that's not what happened. I was able to, get the pelt to the tanner but man it was stressful yeah i understand that though it does make sense in the in what everything you tell me about red dead that that these things are consequential and stressful because it, it that's the whole game right isn't that like the whole thing that rockstar has done here is that make the game not feel like a video game they they made the actions they make it feel like your actions have an impact 
and one thing that's really cool is now that I have that legendary moose pelt, I have it. You know, it's mine. It's there. In the system, I don't know that I need to go back and get another one. All right. So a nice feeling to have. It's worth the effort. It was worth the trouble. I made the trip. There were some hiccups on the way, but those hiccups made it feel more memorable. If those things didn't happen, then I wouldn't be telling you about it, right? I wouldn't have anything to say. True. And that's why it's cool. Okay. Because there wouldn't be this whole story about that time I had to get the moose pelt. On the moon. Yeah, I went up there. There was a moose. He had a pelt. I brought it back. You know, whatever. Or in other games, in Assassin's Creed, or or something else like that, that's more of these, uh, I don't know, uh, what do you call them, carnival or or theme park open world games. It's like, yeah, I killed the moose. I got its legendary pelt. It was in my inventory. And then I made a, a, a holster out of it. There's no story about it. Whereas in a, you know, they've created this narrative where it's like, whoa, how'd you get that gun? And I'm like, well, it all started in in the core of the moon where the hive were resting. You know, there's yeah. a narrative about it. Yeah. Um, It's WTDG for November the 12th. Be with you. I just have to say that. Ask me some questions. About Red Dead or in yeah, general? Yeah, what do you want to know life? about it? Do you I, want to know about I, Red Dead? I feel like I want to know about other things more than I want to know, want about, to know about other things. Yeah. I have been playing other games. Uh, quite a few other games. I've been playing Soul Calibur. Have you played this at all? Um, I was playing it a decent amount today. How are you feeling about it? I I have a very I I, I, I can't give a great I, I can't give a great critical review of Soul Calibur because even like 12 hours in to it I, I don't know what to think about it I, I think that as a fighting game I, I love fighting games so much and I want to like Soul Calibur a, a lot more than I do when I'm playing it so I notice that I'll I will think about it and want to play it um, but when I'm actually playing it I'm not really having that much fun um, I'm, okay. I and that's not to say that like I, I don't think it's a bad game like i think that there's a lot there um I, the weird thing is that I'm, I'm noticing that i'm having almost a different issue um than what would make sense because the soul caliber characters other than that like when you when you you always talk about the tekken versus soul caliber thing and in tekken the characters are all fight people and they punch and kick and that's what they do and they don't really have any differences um, well, except there are some some flashy characters, though, right? Like you have like Alyssa, Raven, sure, and Raven, Yoshimitsu, Alyssa, and yeah, sure, Alyssa, and, and also the the woman who I fought, who yeah, just, uh shoots lions at people. Uh, yeah, Kar- Karumi, something like that. Yeah. Um. But anyway, uh. So so Tekken mostly has all these punch and kick people, and they they punch and kick, and uh, they don't look that differently. On this, they don't look that different on the surface, but then you, when you play, you start to understand why, where the differences are, like 
the reach of buttons, the frame data of buttons. And that's what really makes the characters different is like almost at a mid to high level is what makes the characters different. And in Tekken, I'm almost like, despite the fact that the characters are all so different because they're based around their weapons and fighting styles that are so... In Soul Calibur. In, in Soul Calibur. Yeah, you're right. In Soul Calibur, the characters are all so different and they're based around these weapons and fighting styles and they look so aesthetically different. I'm having a hard time finding a character that like I super drive with. Uh, for Ivy was the character I picked in the beginning and she still seems to be the character that I like the most, but I'm try- but considering that I'm not like absolutely in love with the game, I'm trying to try different characters to see if maybe Ivy isn't my style and uh I, I don't know, I still don't find anyone that I find uh all that interesting. Uh, I I don't know, I don't know the thing it's just hard to say why too because uh, I, I I can't say much more than I play a little bit and I don't have a huge interest in playing more sometimes. Like with a lot of other, the, the, the thing with me in fighting games is that the, the general way I'm supposed to feel about a fighting game is that I, I play a match and then I immediately want to get into another match. And Soul Calibur, a lot of times I can just play a match that is just so bad or, or just like the connection is bad or someone just like doing stuff and it doesn't seem like there's a real strategy they're just like hitting a lot of buttons and i don't really know like why it's working or why it wouldn't work and then i just think like yeah it was that was really boring that was like i couldn't really move that much also like i can't i'm I'm having issues being able to find people my level uh in a lot of in a lot of cases uh, I can't really get a good casual game going, and if I do uh, practice, the only thing for whatever reason you're allowed to do in training mode is set up for a ranked, and if I'm doing that, there's times where I'll be like ranked 100 soul points with a character, and then I'll fight a 10,500 soul point other character, and it's just like, what happened? What happened with the matchmaking there? This isn't fun. I can't try new things. I can't be a new player with this character if you're going to match me up with ridiculously good people. Why? What's it matter? It's just not fun. Like, be, be, the, the way that you learn fighting games is that you do get better as a person, as a player, if you're fighting better players. But that's only that's only to a point because you need to fight people your level to be able to try things and see when they work out, when they don't work out, how enemies react, and then be able to make, like create your own kind of uh, techniques and setups. And you can't really do that if people are way are, are much higher ranked than you, and they're kind of just rushing you down the whole time, and you can't really move. Which is another thing that like I, I like Ivy because she's a little bit more control based. But Soul Calibur definitely feels like everyone's just kind of a rushdown monster, which is weird because I love Dragon Ball Fighters and everyone is a rushdown monster in that game. But in Soul Calibur, when people I win, think, I don't think Astaroth is. I mean, it's just like it, every character in Soul Calibur is doing like attacks and then setting you up so that they get like another attack in if you don't guess right. What are other fighting games doing? Is that not how you play everything? No, I mean. I th- like one of the reasons why I always like Tekken is that's not really true. Tekken is a, like a lot of neutral is a lot more neutral than even Soul Calibur is. Um, Dragon Ball Fighters does have that, 
but the uh, the attacks that open you up from like a grounded state or something are a little bit more like manageable like rock paper scissors whereas like Tekken I'm not really sh- or whereas with Soul Calibur I'm not really sure why stuff is working the characters are really unique and they have a lot of abilities and to even play someone who has had like 20 or like 15 20 minutes in tutorial I I don't know always like why things are working out the way they are or like what I'm supposed to be doing and I'm not I just don't feel like I'm learning there are global defense tactics like with the um i don't know what's the focus attack called in this game uh Whatever that thing is yeah so you have your focus attack and you also have guard impact which allows you to parry any heavy medium or low attack so if you're getting up and you don't know like what to do like you know something's coming but you don't know exactly what it is guard impacting is always an option one thing that is complicated about about uh, Soul Calibur, and I feel like Tekken had this too, is that there are a lot of Ukemi options. So it's hard to know, like, do I roll, do I do a quick get up? Do I do a roll forward, roll backwards, side roll? Forwards is never the option, but you know what I mean. Yeah. Um, I don't know, like... You should try Talim. Huh, That's it's, your character. It's, it's, it's so weird because... I want to like Tekken. I want to like Soul Calibur more. And as I play it, I just I don't jive with it. It's it's hard to ultimately say why. I games like I don't know. Like seriously, Tekken and Dragon Ball Fighters are games where when I play them, I just want to play again and again and again. And Soul Calibur, I, I'll play a little bit and then just want to put it down. I feel the opposite, but I'm glad that you do have fighting games that you can. Uh, you know, engage with that you're really into Dragon Ball Fighters, and I'm really glad that Soul Calibur is out and that I like it as much as I do because I think that uh, I feel about Soul Calibur the way that you feel about Tekken. Yeah, I I don't dislike Soul Calibur. I don't want to make it sound like that. Tekken. I don't want to. I don't want to make it sound like that. And I'm going to keep. I, I continually play it, hoping that 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 I'll 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 make a breakthrough with the game. Or I'll find a character that I like. Uh, today I was playing some Cervantes, and I think I was starting to like that character a little bit more. It's really cool. Have you tried like Yoshimitsu? I fucking hate Yoshimitsu. Why do you hate him? Just because he's like obnoxious to fight against? Uh, that's yeah, so that's... far and away not the character that I would ever want to play. Just play Talum. That's your character right there. Why do you keep saying that? Do you think I'm like a pedo? Why is it about that? It also, is about just that. so you know, she, she's probably like 2,000 years old in Soul Calibur history. Well, that's how you do it. She's like 2,000 years old. That, she's that's, exactly, like that's exactly how you do it, is you, you make the youngest looking person in the cast has to be the oldest, age-wise. That's how it is. You're like, yeah, they're, they look like they're, you know, they look like they're prepubescent, but uh, they're actually thousands of years old, so it's okay for you to jerk off to them. Yeah, so obviously I've also been playing Maple Story too because who has Have you? Played? No. Okay. No. Sorry, that, that's the beginning and the end of that joke. Um, I played some Overcooked 2. That game's really good. I've been playing Diablo on Switch. You seem excited about nothing... it. You tell you were telling I, I think me it's really good. I, I don't know. It's like an ARPG on the Switch. There's nothing you, wrong like, with open that. It up, you, you run through, you get some loot, and that's it. Don't you guys have a Switch? I feel like more of that is the platform than the game. Well, yeah, sure. But it's also the right game for that platform, right? Yeah, sure. I've been playing Hitman. I got the uh, 
I got the super expensive version of Hitman 2, which comes with uh, early access to the game. So I've been playing that over the last week. By the time that this podcast comes out, Hitman 2 will have been released because it comes out tomorrow. Okay. So Hitman 2 is exactly like Hitman 2016. It is the same exact game with some new game modes. Uh, And if you liked Hitman 2016, you will like Hitman 2. But at the same time, I feel like Hitman, to me, maybe this is, maybe I'm totally off base here, but I feel like it's kind of like a cult hit where not a lot of people are actually talking about it. And that's weird to say about a, a game that actually has like a motion picture film about it, right? I feel like Hitman used to be iconic. And now, even though Hitman games are the best they've ever been, that it's actually less popular. How do you perceive Hitman? Like, what are your thoughts about Hitman? I don't have many thoughts about Hitman. So maybe that that actually... uh... And that's like, that's the problem, right? And I don't know necessarily if like Hitman 2 or like Hitman at all is like your style of game. Like... But the idea of Hitman 2 is, first off, like, you play as essentially, like, Daredevil, where you can, like, hear things and, like, perceive things through the wall. You're, like, ridiculously strong, but also, for whatever reason, you just, like, blend in with everything. And it's just such a bizarre game, because as soon as you put on an outfit, people think you are that person, to an extent, right? So if you are trying to infiltrate a mansion, you can dress up as a chef and that'll work for the most part. But other chefs who spend a lot of time in the kitchen are more perceptive and are more understanding of who's a chef. So they might see you and be like, okay, who the hell are you? Whereas like the security of the mansion might be less informed about that. You know what I mean? Yeah. So essentially the way that this game works is that you are put into these giant, massive, sprawling open levels. You're given the the objective of like kill this person or kill these two people. And then you're sort of left uh, to your own devices on how you want to do that. If you walk through the game, you might overhear conversations from other characters being like, oh yeah, I heard that this guy needs to get therapy because of the way that... Uh, you know, the loss of his mother really hurt him. And then later you might actually run into somebody who's like, uh, you know, talking on the phone who you perceive to be like a therapist and you might, you know, lure them or follow them into a bathroom where you incapacitate them and put on their outfit and then are able to infiltrate the mansion and actually be in the session with these people who may or may not be like, Hey, you don't look like my regular therapist or who are just meeting you for the first time. And essentially you hear like this unique dialogue because of the fact that this is the way that you've chosen to go through uh, the level this time. And in Hitman, I've been replaying actually. So Hitman 2 has all of Hitman 1's challenges and all of Hitman 1's levels put back into it. That's wild. uh, With new items, with new AI. So actually this game is just like overwhelmingly large. And one of the levels, my favorite level, Sapienza, which is the second level from Hitman Season 1, has 166 different challenges in it. That will include different costumes that you could put on. That will include uh, different specific assassination challenges of like 
uh, one example is that the uh, you are trying to assassinate this couple, and the woman is having an affair with uh, the man's golf coach. And one of the challenges is to incapacitate the golf coach and meet her in her bedroom, like like dressed up as the golf coach, and assassinate her there. And one of the cool things about this game also is like the progression, because as you go through the levels, you unlock mastery levels for them, uh, which give you access to new unique starting points. So instead of starting in the assassinate in like the ICA safe house, which is, you know, like a hotel room rented out by the uh, assassination sector where you like are planning your mission, you have like weapons set up, you can actually unlock new places to start off in the mission. So maybe you're starting off in the in the underground laboratory dressed up as a scientist or you're uh, in the in the bar dressed up as like a, a I don't know, like a a barista or you're dressed up as like a chef or something like that. And they give you all these different like starting things. You unlock, you unlock new like weaponry and stuff like that. And and one of my favorite things actually is that they, you unlock different stuff that carries over between missions as you level up your mastery. So if you level up your mastery in one level, you might get access to like an explosive, uh, like a rubber duck. So that might be really useful in another mission where maybe you want to assassinate someone in their bathtub or something. And there might even be like a unique mission where a unique challenge where it's like, okay, assassinate someone with like a rubber ducky in this mission. And it's like, well, how do I do that? And it's kind of cool piecing together like, okay, some challenges from certain missions will carry over and help me in other missions. And you know, with the new content that's come out, I actually haven't even touched the new levels yet i've actually just been replaying the old levels that's insane to me but sure so there's because they did they redid like all the ai they they like have new aesthetic improvements and also i just want to unlock the stuff that i had again because they didn't carry over your progression from the first game into the second game which like i I don't really mind at all i'm like happy to replay those missions and do them over again and like get lots and lots of life out of this game because this is also a game where you're replaying like the same mission over and over to get like a higher score and to unlock new stuff. And I'm going to play a lot more of that game. I'm sure you will. Uh, did you hear anything about their multiplayer competitive mode? No, that sounds strange. So they have a competitive mode uh, and it's called like ghost mode. And essentially the way that it works is that you are playing a 1v1 in, in a world where, like, so another player is also trying to complete the same things that you are, but you're competing against one another, where you're trying to keep up with them in terms of, like, how quickly and how efficiently you can assassinate people. So you'll be dropped into a level, and there will be, like, a procedurally generated challenge of, like, okay, there's this uh, NPC. He's going to be in this location. Go kill him. Uh, and you have to essentially assassinate the target within like 10 seconds of when your opponent d- did it as well. So you have to keep up with them in terms of pace while also trying to outscore them in your efficiency. So it, it's kind of a cool way of adding like this infinite game mode to Hitman. Is your opponent, your opponent's not on the map. It's just kind no, of but like. You can, see, you can see their ghost. Okay. You can see what they're doing. 
But I don't know, kind of neat. I might check that out at some point, but right now I'm just like exploring all of the different locations. Uh, they also have all of these, like, you know, this has like been seasons and seasons worth of content that's now like put together. They also have like alternate missions on the same map where they like, now it's nighttime and instead of assassinating these two like millionaires, they're actually doing like this movie shooting on at, like on the mansion grounds. So like there's, you know, certain areas that are barriered off. There are new items around. People are having different conversations. And obviously like the assassination targets are totally different. It's really cool. All right. So have you been playing anything else? Uh, That's a lot of games, right? That is a lot of games. Between like Hitman, Red Dead Redemption 2, Soul Calibur, that's that's enough to fill up a day. And and Diablo 3 on Switch. Because I don't have a phone. Well, yeah, that was the thing that happened. I mean We don't have to talk about BlizzCon. We don't have to talk about BlizzCon. Um Ash got announced for Overwatch, which I only kind of bring up because I, I played Overwatch oh, today. Yeah. I guess that's important too, is I started playing Overwatch again. I played Overwatch today, actually. I almost got. I, I, I kind of wanted the, to mention it. I played on the PTR. I played Ash. It was really fun. I also really like Hammond. I think he's really fun. Yeah, he's pretty cool. I wish his name were Hammond. Um, I played some games today with friend of the show and sometimes co-host the show, but not recently. Mostly to piece p table stuff. Uh, but uh, uh, Sean Callian and I like that game uh they've done a lot of improvements to make the characters that i would have thought were kind of boring or uninteresting uh much more fun uh torbjorn got a big remake and he doesn't feel like crap to play uh symmetra obviously had gotten a huge remake she is really fun to play um uh hanzo got a remake he's fun to play since the last time i mean like these are all things that are like have been compounding um and meanwhile, uh, the roster has gotten a lot bigger. Uh, I like Moira and uh, Brigitte a lot. So, uh, and yeah, uh, Wrecking Ball, Hammond or whatever is, is very fun to play as well. So uh, that I, I that might be something that I might be playing more of soon, especially with Ash. Because yeah, like, I did play some of the PTR version of Ash. Ash is a uh, offensive character, which is kind of unfortunate because it's kind of hard to get. Uh, they don't call them offense anymore. They're called damage. Damage dealers. So um, uh, with her, uh, she it has like a, what is it? Like, uh, what 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 was the destiny gun? It almost seems like that because it's like a... Uh, and Beyond? Uh, no. Well, no. The shotgun almost. Uh, but... Chaperone? Yeah, Chaperone. It's, it's kind of like Chaperone actually, right? No, uh, it's, be- it's actually a Team Fortress 2 item. So it's an exact replica of a TF2 item called the Force of Nature for interested parties. I did not know that. Um, so yeah, she has this uh, this like bolt or what is it? Lever action rifle that uh, shoots uh, pretty quickly, and then it slows down and does more damage when aim when doing aiming down the sights. She has a uh, co- like a sawed off shotgun. That she uses uh, in uh, that that has a uh, short AOE burst, but also knocks her back, and she can use this as a uh, movement option because she can do stuff like jump and then uh, use the coach shotgun to uh, like either propel her up in the air or uh, propel her back to safety or forward or whatever what what have you. Um, 
her probably most uh, unique ability is her E. She like lobs a uh, a stick of dynamite, and she can shoot it to explode it. And it, when it explodes, it deals uh, damage and also puts a dot on people. And her ultimate is she summons a um, AI controlled robot that kind of sticks around named Bob uh, that that shoots people. So she's interesting. Yeah, she's she's cool. She's, I, li- uh, I like her look because she's like kind of yeah. she's kind of like in the she's she's she makes sense for the universe and everything like that. She's fun to play. Um, don't think I'll be playing a lot of her once she gets to uh, live other than, you know, in matches in like mystery heroes, because that's still kind of the thing that I want to play the most of. Um, and in quick match, I wouldn't be able to get her anyway, because I feel like I would want to want to try and fill what people need rather than just always like trying to instant pick Ash and then suck with her. Um, but she's cool. All right. Any other video games or does that wrap up the video game section of this podcast? That wraps up the video game. Are there any video games that you're looking forward to? Because no. I'm looking more and more forward to Smash. Oh, well, yeah, I guess that's... That, I, I am kind of interested in that. Is that crazy? Is that wild? No. Seems like a big, huge game. Who do you think you'll main in Smash? Who's your main? I don't think I'll have a main. I don't really have right? mains in Smash because I don't I don't take it okay. that way. Like I I like to to bop around. I don't I, I'm not I'm never gonna play Smash at like a competitive level. Nor am I gonna play it at like a even like mid tier competitive level of like trying to be competitive with my friends. So, Are there any new characters in Smash that you think look particularly cool? Piranha Plant. Piranha Plant does look cool, right? My actually the characters that I am really interested in are the Belmonts and King K. Rool. I'll try out uh, those characters in Ridley. Ridley seems pretty cool. Have you played any board games recently? I have. I played board games with you. Whoa. When was that? Yesterday. I would have remembered that. No, you don't, though. So, you brought over some games. What did you bring? Wildlands and Brass, Birmingham. Both Martin Wallace games. Uh, Brass is getting a lot of table time. That's good, right? Yeah, I love Brass. Brass. Um, what is it about brass that weren't? Why do you like brass? What is uh, brass? Man, brass is brass is so good. Uh, I I we and we had such a good game of it, but I don't know. Like it, it, it's the things that I like about brass is just that everything is. It's hard to say. Just everything is good. Um, I like the speed of the game. But what is it? Uh, it is a uh, economic seventeen hundreds. Uh, industrial era building game. We have talked about this before. Uh, you have a map of Birmingham and uh, outs. I mean, just around Birmingham uh, in England, and you are building different industries: cotton, beer, coal, iron, uh, manufacturing goods, pottery, the like. And uh, it. Uh, you're also connecting uh, different towns with canals or railways depending on the era and i don't know i don't know why brass just is so good i i I like its brand of economic euro kind of stuff it it is very fast playing for the most part uh you feel like you have a lot of options uh there's a lot of cool stuff to go for and to try and stop other people from going for flipping tiles feels so unnaturally good uh when you either sell a commodity or uh 
run out of coal, iron, or beer uh, from different manufacturing plants. You flip the tile over, you get income every turn uh, based on what the tile was, and you get victory points at the end of the round. Uh, I don't know why that feels so good. Uh, it felt like an amazing game. It felt like the best game of Brass Birmingham that we've ever played uh, that we had yesterday. And uh, it was ridiculously close. In we fact, haven't had a bad game. Uh, we haven't had a bad game, but uh, this this just felt like a, a, an uncommonly good game overall. Not not a not a, not just a good game for Brass Birmingham, but a good game for anything. Like some of the best uh, the best amount of time you could spend. There's there's times good moments. There's times where I play a game because because games, uh, tabletop games and video games or anything, uh, competes for time with other things, and that's you know. Th- that's a difficult thing uh, to, especially for some of the longer games, is like how much fun are you having per moment? And I, and Brass just was very tense the entire time um, and ended up thinking, I ended up thinking at the end that I had won and then I made a comment about how I didn't think that the points could have added up uh, and we rechecked it and the points ended up, the uh, overall score at the end of the game ended up being uh, you with 164 and me with 163, which is unfortunate, um, but uh, still felt unbelievably good. Still felt like a, a crazy good game. Uh, it feels like a tie when the numbers are that high. Uh, not exactly. I still want to beat you, but I, I it, 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 the fun was there. Like I, I had a blast playing that. Uh, you go for a very different strategy. I usually dip into pottery, which makes it kind of... Uh, become like i have to do pottery um because that's just the nature of that that business in that game um but uh even charlene was like really close the entire time uh so that kind of stuff feels amazing like that's a good game for uh like there we've, we've talked about brass before but there's just so much that it's doing right at the same time and i think that's why i like it so much like the, One thing that's good about brass is you don't know that you're losing until the end. That that is another. That was something I was gonna gonna mention is that like, you you can think the game like you don't know how brass shakes out until that last second when you calculate everything, um, and uh, the 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 game plays fairly fast and uh, it's it's always at a good clip. You can watch that that the deck that kind of governs how long the game plays running out as you're playing it uh so you always know uh you have a good concept of like when the game's gonna lose gonna gonna end so you, you you're never surprised by that it's not the scythe thing that always bums me out where they someone gets ahead and then suddenly the game is over uh brass is kind of always uh at the same moving at the same clip um brass takes a that game took a long time though i took forever i had unnaturally long turns I don't know if you noticed that, but my turns were very long. Yeah, why is that for Brass that uh, that you kind of turn into a more A and P care player? Because, okay, this might not sound fair, but I drew really poorly. I had not a lot of options, and also I was trying to optimize. That doesn't sound that fair because I I never I've never felt like I drew poorly. You can make something happen with whatever you have. I always find a way to make something happen with whatever I have. You can't necessarily make the best thing happen. Yeah, but that's the point, is no one else is making the best thing happen, usually. I scouted, and I actually think scouting isn't bad. You don't want to scout if you don't have to, but scouting really opens you up. I guess it's more of a... It's a mechanism that that basically does away with randomness, right? 
it's it lets you cheat and that's why it feels cool you spend a turn and then you get to break the rules where essentially a scouting action allows you to pick up wild cards that allow you to do any action in the game build anywhere build any industry essentially cheat the the card draw aspect of the game it feels great yeah so how did you come away with that? I mean, we, we've talked about this a little bit more. I just want to know your opinions on that game. So I really like Brass. Brass might be... It's not a top five for me. I know that it's probably like in your top three. Um, and top two, I, I guess actually. the reason why... I guess... What is your number one? Is it Gaia Project or Gaia Brass? Project. Gaia Project is definitely in my top three. Uh, the thing about Brass is that I crave asymmetry and i really love the idea of sitting down to play a game and it being very different from the last time i played the game and brass doesn't necessarily have that the things that are going to be different in brass are you need to work with the current board state and where the markets currently are and you need to work with your hand and figure out what is the best strategy but and, and one thing that I really, really like about Brass that I think puts it ahead of other games of this type is that Brass is extremely interactive. Is that Brass is pro- is maybe, you know, it is among the most interactivity that a Euro can have outside of like direct, like mean interactions that you might have in something like Food Chain Magnate. Yeah, Brass is... And that's I, something I... that I... That was something that I was thinking last night, too, is that Brass has kind of take that mechanics like stealing someone's beer. But generally, when you're when you're that's ne- not take that, it, it's not take that because it, it, it usually also helps them just in a smaller way and maybe not in the way that they wanted, but it helps them. And it's so cool because of the fact the thing that I like about interactivity is that I like a player to I like it when people have to make me reconsider what I'm going to have to do that, that makes me think like, okay. And in brass, I'm the kind of person who plans out like four turns ahead, what I'm doing. But if someone can mess with that, that's where things get interesting to me. And that's the whole game, right? And in terraforming Mars, you don't have that, right? Not really. Yeah. You can kind of, but not really. Terraforming Mars. It's like, I took your plants. So wait until you have more plants. Or and like, you know, they, they went up on the, the health, the oxygen tracker or something like that when you wanted to. Yeah, but even that, it doesn't change your strategy. It just changes how many points you're going to get. Yeah, I guess so. And, and that's why it's different. I mean, in, in like Terra Mystica and Gaia Project, there is more there is like this direct interaction. But I actually think that Brass has even stronger player interaction just because of the way that the economy works and that you're like changing the, the supply and the demand of different of like the coal and the iron. That's that's one thing that I absolutely love about brass is people taking other people's coal or iron. Like building a building a coal mine or ironworks is so satisfying that game because you you put a resource out into the world and sometimes you just think like I don't even have a I don't even necessarily want a use for this but I people are going to use it and I'm going to get income or victory points off that. And the thing that makes me like a different player is I never think about that. I never think, I don't need this. I'm going to put it out. If I don't need something, I don't put it out. I wait for the market to to feed me, you know? Feed me Seymour. Yeah. 
I was digging it. I had a good time playing brass. I will continue to play brass. It's a good game. Uh, I wonder what I would ask for in a brass expansion. I think that it would just be different maps. But for now, I'm totally content playing the same game of brass over and over. Yeah, I feel like different maps. Um, I feel like maybe, I, I don't know if the having more merchants to sell to would break the experience. Um, if every merchant, if there were none of the blank merchant tiles, um, I think that it would make the game less interesting because players yeah, wouldn't be would fighting over. Yeah, it would make solitaire. Yeah, because then you could then you really well, could just sit around. Yeah, everyone just goes to the map. merchants that they can get. Uh, so yeah, it's hard to say exactly what I would want. Um, so I I yeah, I'm absolutely loving Brass. That was an unbelievable game. I I was so jized off that. Uh, one game, a game that I really want to talk about is Wildlands. So that's the other game I brought over. It's also made by Martin Wallace, and it's ridiculously different. This is different. a surprising game, right? This is a really surprising game. And it's probably the thing that I've wanted to talk about the most on this podcast. Uh, it is a... Okay, so it is a uh, arena game. It's like a kind of like a... Like a team deathmatch. Yeah, it's like a team deathmatch. Um, in the game currently, there are... It's a tabletop game, obviously. Um, it's kind of minis based. Uh, you pick one of four actions. They are making uh, one of four uh, uh, groups or factions. I'm sorry. Um, and they're making more factions. Uh, and you play on one of two boards and they're making two boards and they're making more boards. And uh, you basically have to collect these crystals and kill people. Um, and how you're doing that and how you're piloting the characters is governed by cards you draw but the cards you're drawing are meant to be used in lots of different ways but you can only use them in one way uh you have a hand of up to seven cards and uh every card a card will possibly say something like move uh character a move character b move character c um and then an open action that will be you know attack with any character and then next to those those thing, those options that say you can move those characters will be a unique uh, ability for those characters, or like not not necessarily like unique, but like a uh, you know that character, the character next to this uh, this banner may take a, a attack or a ranged attack or a magic attack, um, and the game is kind of governed by this uh, basic rock paper scissors. Um, uh, melees kind of guard against melees. Uh, then there's ranged attacks, and they are guarded by shields and cover. And then there's magic, and that's kind of guarded guarded by cover. Uh, so, uh, or but, by, but I by think shields. The, the thing that we really have to talk about is the way that the card system works. Because initially, I was pretty cold on this, right? Yeah. Because I have this feeling of like, I don't like the idea that I can't take the actions that I want. I feel like, uh, uh, you know, I feel handicapped by the way that the hands work. But I, but it, that is a necessary part of the game. And this game is surprisingly about resource management. It's, it's about not only just the resources of like, I have a hand and I'm trying to manage it but of also specific actions on those cards, right? So an example of this is that there is a faction where they have like these four mages and then they have this one massive brute. And the massive brute 
has fewer cards in the deck that allow him to act. And obviously, uh, as Ryan explained, these cards also have actions for other characters on them. So when you're doing actions, you need to be considerate of the fact, will this use actions that I need for my brute, right? Yeah. So you're considering- And I have a lot to say about that thing you just said. Not just like, how do I manage my hand, but also how do I manage actions that I might need later on? Because one thing that we haven't talked about yet is how to win. And the way that you win is you get first to five points. You get a point by killing an enemy unit or by gathering a crystal off of the field. And the way that you gather a crystal is that you need to activate a character to have uh, three of their... Essentially, you need to use three character cards to pick up that item. And it's a lot of resources. Yeah, it's it's really dangerous. dangerous. And that's kind of like getting into why this game is special, um, why this game surprises me, um, is that, like, the hand management, it makes it the game a fighting game in a weird way where you're really managing, like, the, the like to, to spend... Yeah, you only need five points, and, you'll, and you can spend three of a character's suit to pick up a crystal, which is one point, which is great. But um, uh, in a possible hand of seven spending three cards can be a pretty big deal. And since you're not going to be always at seven, if you're at like five or four or something like that, that can be huge. And then that means that the en- the enemy can also interrupt your turns. And knowing that you don't have any cards can be really terrifying because now you you have limited your options so much. So the game becomes about like trying to figure out which options you you need. You know what's crazy is that I was reading about this game today, and I didn't even think of this, but in this game, just to discuss the complexity, you can deny kills. You can kill your people. You can AOA in the an spot. AOE yeah. And and take away their kill. And remove a point off the field. And even thinking about that is pretty wild. Yeah. Um a couple other things that popped to my mind about this game are that uh, I, looking at the factions and certainly looking through their decks, you don't get a lot of sense of asymmetry or why the factions would be very different. Um, since the game is kind of governed by this rock, paper, scissors of these like melee and ranged and magic, uh, it doesn't seem like you could make a faction, you could make a character or a, a faction as a whole, or even, you know, more specifically a character feel like a unique element in this game. Um, and th- I feel like I, w- I was so wrong about that in a really weird way. And we keep coming back to Lunk because Lunk is the character that you mentioned before, which is the, uh, on like, I think the guild faction or whatever, which is for very weak mages that have like, Lots of weird defensive options to try and save themselves from dying. And then they have this unbelievably massive, highest health in the game character that has very few activations. But it's really terrifying because it doesn't make a lot of sense in some setups to even try and attack him. Because if you're not going to kill the character, like, why are you wasting cards? Every time you're... The interesting thing in this game is also that when you're 
being aggressive or defensive, no matter what action you're taking, you are limiting your actions. Since every card has active has all these options to use the card for movement attacking defensive uh if you if someone if an enemy is attacking you multiple times in a row and you're spending that entire turn defending uh, you you might actually limit your options so much that when it gets your turn you feel weaker um and you just have to pass and that's the thing that totally happens where on your turn all that you do is pass to collect more cards yeah, just to give to give yourself more options. To it, like sometimes that's the best thing to do. It has a weird that game has like a bizarre flow of like hand the hand size kind of determines who is you know active at the time, um, and you don't want to uh, be active or like dealing with the game unless you you have a higher hand size. So it does make sense sometimes when someone passes you the turn to pass immediately back to them because at the end of the turn is when you draw because then once you're passing back you're obviously drawing up three so that gives you tons of more options and it can be and it can help you kind of fish for uh the options that you might be looking for at the time yeah i know what you mean uh i i guess one of the things that i was surprised about is just like that our first games were pretty short but our last game was very long and that was pretty wild. And the reason is because we both actually started coming up with strategies, right? Where we both were understanding defensive mechanisms a little bit better. And I was actually trying to uh, kite you and like draw you into this choke point because I, I had set up my... So we didn't even talk about the way that you place your... Uh, guys on the board which might so be which might be one of the most brilliant i think it might be one of the most immediately brilliant parts of that game right uh yeah for sure so essentially at the start of the game you're given 10 cards and you assign five of them to where your heroes will spawn and you assign you essentially give the other five cards to the enemy and that's where they will put their crystals so you can set up like specific like chokes and and things around so for example i put one of your crystals in this very hard to access point with very long corridors on the sides of it because i was playing a faction that was based around ranged attacks so i was trying to get you to move into these areas so that i could take you out from a distance yeah and i found that i i i developed a a sort of like meta of trying to give you a bunch of cards that were all near each other and then have my characters spawn close by so that I can protect them. Uh, rather than trying to split up the crystals all over the place, I wanted to kind of put the crystals in one spot so that you'd have to move your characters past where I could clump up characters, my own characters. Which works when you're playing, and it works. that strategy works for specific factions. And sort of, you know, part of the game is figuring out I think that the 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 trickiest and, and the place to get caught up the most at, at in this game is at the very start where you're trying to figure out where to put people. Yeah, because there's just so many things that can can happen and can go on, and there's so much that is defined by those starting positions. Yeah, and it, we haven't said it yet, but the uh, once you assign those characters the spaces, those are secret. And you're slowly revealing where the characters are spawning in. So the enemy doesn't know. It's not like the 
the game starts out. There are 42 spaces on every board, um, on each of the boards, and will be 42 spaces in the future. And uh, the uh, you assign them face down to where your characters will spawn. So the enemy in the beginning has no idea where uh, you are going to spawn, and you likewise have no idea where the enemy will spawn. Uh, and you're choosing when to reveal those characters on those spaces. So that also plays a huge part in the game of like revealing a character that might be in the beginning nearby a crystal so that you could, you know, get that crystal quickly. But then the enemy reveals a character and then you reveal a character right behind that enemy, like when a turn begins and stuff like that. It's pretty cool. And I'm surprised that I liked it as much as I did. Yeah, I... I, I'm also kind of shocked. I bought the game, which is weird to say that I'm ch- I'm impressed by the game being good. Um, I I had heard good things. I saw it uh, fairly high up on BGG, and I I watched a couple of like uh, uh, rules explanations and let's plays and stuff, and I kind of just said, you know what? Because it's cheap. the 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 base set is pretty cheap. It's like thirty bucks. Um, so I said, like, I, I, I want to check it out. Also, I like Martin Wallace. Um, and when I got it, I think I, I uh, some of the wind was taken out of the sails because I just just looking at it like, I mean, the, the on the inside, like the game is, is is pretty. It has a good insert and the miniatures are nice and they have a nice wash that shows off their their uh, uh, details. But when you look at the faction cards or you read the rules, nothing really necessarily pops. Uh, I do talk a lot about. Uh, reading rules for a tabletop game and finding something that you can immediately imagine is a you know like a moment like you you, a rule that is like wow that is a moment like when that happens like in uh in twilight imperium uh giving away your your the uh whatever the the faction cards like the uh agreement cards are uh those are huge moments that like add so much to the game where just the the rules pop off uh the table uh yellow and yangtze is full of this as well because it just has a lot of moments like wars and stuff where just huge moments of like interesting gameplay and nothing about wildlands is is necessarily like that it's a it's a really standard game um it really is on the surface uh a 5v5 uh, Deathmatch, and if it ends up not being about kills, that you know, you, there's also the the crystals to pick up. But something about the flow, and something about the way the game works, and the strategies of the different groups works better in an actual play than it does on paper. You buy that? Yeah. So the, I, I was just interested in talking about that because I feel like it was a really uh, it, it was a really surprising game. I, I didn't think I, I similar to what you're saying. I, I didn't think that I would like it as much as I did. And now I am kind of more interested in bringing it over uh, than I was previously. One of the reasons why brass gets played so much is just because it's very small. Um, it's really easy to transport over the boxes. I, I mean, the box is small. Like it, it is a is game that, why that they don't play scythe. But that I, it's a good reason why we don't play scythe because like that is the burden with scythe is that it is one of the hardest things that I have right now, if not the hardest thing to get over to your house. It's just a huge box. I can't put it in a bag or anything like that. 
Uh, it is it is massive, uh, and all the expansions have made it even more massive. Brass gets a lot of play, not only because I, I love it to death, and that is the main reason why it gets a lot of play, but also because it is super easy to fit in the the, uh, the duffel bag that I have. It is just, it's super tiny. It's easy to fit it with almost anything. Uh, for example, I... I got Wildlands. I was I wanted to bring over. If I was going to go to your house, I wanted to bring over Wildlands. That was the thing I wanted to play. But Brass had enough space to fit in there. Like it was easy because you just, you can just fit Brass in there too because Brass is tiny. It just, One it, game that would be pretty hard to transport actually, not because of the size of the box, but actually just the weight is Alchemists. We did play Alchemists. Uh, which, we should talk about which that. We got the chance to play. I played three games of Alchemists. Uh, I already kind of explained the way that it works, but essentially Alchemists is a worker placement game that is also a puzzle game because every game, essentially what you're doing is you're mixing these different ingredients together to brew potions, but every game, the chemical composition of the potions changes. For the ingredients. Uh, It's randomized. Yeah, it's randomized by an app. So essentially you use the app to brew the potions together to tell you the result. And, you know, the primary focus of the game is around figuring out based on your results, what the potions, what the uh, ingredients are, are made of essentially. Sure. And I actually had a lot of fun and I want to play it again, but I think we should also start off with one of the things that happened or the big thing that happened. Yes, so there is, when you create a game in the app, you you put in a code so that you're all in the same game, so that you're all in the same seed, and we put it in incorrectly. Well, So both of us were playing with different alchemical compositions. Not not exactly we. They were close, though. Yeah, well, you told me um, that the uh, seed for the game was going to be HBVL or something like that. And I put in something like H, VBL, VBL, B, VBL, and uh, I put in a wrong, I put in the wrong thing, which is a uh, so, an instant game destroyer when you realize it. Yes, we had to just stop the game, but it was cool that we got to play some of it. That you got to understand the rules. Uh, we'll end up playing that game again, and it'll be better that you fully comprehend and understand yeah uh, i do i do think that uh uh, i'm actually happy with that overall because uh it is definitely a game where uh you can't possibly understand it by hearing a rules explanation and when you see it in action and take a couple turns you'll start to understand how that game works uh it is ridiculously cool it is really really cool and i look forward to playing it again very soon uh, but it was very unfortunate what happened, and it was really on me. But built milk. We we got to play tons of games. Uh, I played Automania, which I'm I'm trying to remember who built who made Automania. It's the same person who made Santa Maria. It's 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 a pretty cool game where essentially you uh, you have a tableau, and your tableau is a factory uh, for designing cars. So certain parts of your factory will, will you have three cars that you could produce. You could produce a compact car, a family car, or a sports car, and different parts of your factory will affect different vehicles. So you're placing your workers to 
essentially figure out what parts you want to add to your factory and what kind of um, employees you want to work there. And then essentially deciding whether you want to ship to the American market to generate more income or ship to the uh, European market to get more uh, victory points. So if you're familiar with the way that Venos shipping works, it's very similar. I am not, but sure. Then that's a pretty neat game. And actually pretty simple, pretty easy uh, to understand worker placement game, but uh, a criticism I have is not enough player interaction. I already have Terraforming Mars if I want something with less player interaction. All right. What other game? Have you played any other games? No. Well, then that's a Fast and Furious episode. Yeah, I guess we look forward to uh, Keyforge. Oh, yeah. Also, Path of Exile expansion gets announced tomorrow. Uh, there was an interview recently where the co-founder of GGG was saying that they were setting up Path of Exile 4.0 to compete against Diablo 4. I guess they don't have to worry about that. Oh, that's easy. Because Diablo 4 doesn't exist? Well, they just they have to compete against the mobile game. And everyone's got a phone. Diablo Immobile. Wow. Uh, so, WTDG Podcast is what you're listening to. You can find it on WTDGpodcast.com, on Twitter at sign WTDG Podcast, on iTunes at What's the Deal with Games, where you can rate, comment, and subscribe Thank you. to the show. Ryan Galloway. Thank you, Ryan Galloway, for the, and crying for the use of your music. We use the intro and outro revive off the new album, Beyond the Fleeting Gales. You can find them at the Rump Cover Bandcamp. Brand new album. Brand new album. All right, James. And uh, it turns out that Cole has just been announced for uh, Smash Brothers. Oh, I was hoping it would be Lunk. And that it would be an Equifighter for Link. Oh. But sure, yeah. Yeah, you know, yours is fine. Okay, what about yeah, what about uh what about the horses that would transport iron in small quantities? What about Detective Pikachu? What about Detective Pikachu? Detective Pikachu probably will be in Smash. That could happen. I hope Ryan Reynolds does the voice in Smash too. Is he doing the voice of Detective Pikachu in a movie? He is, and there's a trailer out and it's it looks pretty good for a live action Pokemon movie. Why why does that exist? Yeah, I wanted to say other words, but I didn't, I didn't think I needed any. Watch the trailer and find out. I will. Thanks, Ryan. And thanks, James. And we just don't have to.